0: Hey everyone, Jack Furlong here. It's time for another episode of How You Play the Game, the official podcast of the Osef Foundation Incorporated. We've got a special episode for you today. It's a little bit of a crossover. Uh, we're having a crossover episode with our friends over at Close Call Sports, uh, the ones who run the Umpire Rejection Fantasy League, our good friends Gill and T-Mac. Uh, this episode is really an episode of their podcast called The Plate Meeting. Uh, and They were kind enough to have me on to talk about sportsmanship. So we thought we would give you that episode for uh, this month's first podcast. Uh, just a quick couple of plugs, as always. Be, make sure that you uh, check us out at OSIPFoundation.org. You can see us on social media at uh, Facebook.com slash Foundation, Twitter at OSEP Foundation, uh, hashtag HowYouPlayTheGame. Instagram at OSEP Foundation is uh, getting set up as we speak. Uh, you can always email the show Podcast at osafoundation.org. Uh, make sure you submit your stories of sportsmanship so that we can talk about it on the show. I'd uh, love to hear from you. And uh, without further ado, hope that you enjoy this episode of The Plate Meeting with Gil and
1: T Mack. We welcome you to the latest edition of The Plate Meeting Podcast. I'm T Mack alongside Gil, our guest this week. Jack Furlong, that name might sound familiar because you hear him in our ads. He's uh, the founder of the OSIP Foundation, where uh, outstanding sportsmanship is paramount. And uh, Jack, thanks so much for joining us.
0: Oh, thanks for having me, guys. It's a pleasure to be
1: here. So I guess we need to know what, how this idea came to fruition and, and, and what OSIP is all about. You know, I've been, I've been
0: involved in baseball all my life. Uh, I've played it all my life. I still play it. Uh, I've, uh, I've been umpiring in New Jersey uh, at the uh, high school level for about 13 years now. And uh, it's always just stuck with me that the way that people are treated is just deteriorating. And I'll never forget this. I was in the car one day and I was listening to a, uh, a famous sports talk radio guy from New York. When the uh, Brian Stowe incident broke, and I was I was so incensed, I I was kind of like that tipping point where I was just like, "All right, that's it. I got to do something about this. This has gone on too far. I just I just can't sit back and let nothing happen." So I just kind of started brainstorming uh, in the car, like, "What do I do? How do I do this? What do I start?" And I just kind of landed on on Osip. and. I got, you know, I kind of got ribbed by some of my colleagues. Like, you know, that's the, that's the best you could come up with. You know, there are marketing people who, who do this for a living and you're not one of them. But uh, I said, Oh, yeah, fine. Okay, whatever. It doesn't matter what, what it's called. We just got to do something about this. And I just ran with it. And that was back in 2013 when I finally got uh, the whole thing off the ground. And now we are starting to... Uh, you know, have a, have a footprint in the community. And we're starting to have people take notice and just, you know, start to think a little differently. And that's all you can ask for. You know, you can't, you can't legislate to people. You must be nice. You have to do this. You have to do that. Um, Hope to kind of plant a seed psychologically in the hope that it eventually, you know, begins to alter a way a person thinks or acts.
1: Jack, in your research, what has, I think we've all noticed it, what has caused this change in sportsmanship uh, to where, you know, we just have a lot of negative acting parents and sometimes children. Um, Is is there something you could pinpoint that has uh, changed the way uh, people are behaving?
0: You know, there's a variety of different things. Uh, I don't know if we can, you know, drop the needle on one specific thing, but some of the things that definitely add fuel to the fire are just kind of the change in society. Um, You know, we have a lot of me first uh, viewpoints. We have a lot of selfishness. We have a lot of I'm always right and I have to, in order to be right, I have to prove other people wrong uh, because they have to be mutually exclusive in that person's mind. Uh, We have a lot of uh, parents who live vicariously through their kids. Um, You know, there's a lot of psychological things like a, you know, a person might be uh, unhappy with themselves. So they take it out on others in various different ways. Um, You know, it, it depends on how thin you want to slice the baloney, but you, you go deep into the psychology of the human brain uh, when you, when you start looking at this stuff and, you know, i'm not I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist by any stretch of the imagination. I just find it very, very interesting uh, as I read this stuff. And it's it, it, it's kind of it's obvious in a way where you're just like, how how do you not see this? You know, uh, you know, your subconscious starts to really play with you and let's take a step back. And everybody has to take a step back. And everybody has to put their ego in check. And everybody has to realize that, you know, it is just a game. And that doesn't mean that, everybody gets participation trophies that means they're going to be winners and losers and you're supposed to play the game hard and you're supposed to you know compete and whatnot but you're not supposed to do it in a way where you take it too far where you begin to call people names you begin to judge people significantly you 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 act in ways that are just uh, severely inappropriate.
1: What is uh, officials anonymous?
0: Officials Anonymous is a program that I started. Uh, It began as a a self-help group, but we quickly transitioned it into a support hotline. And basically what it is, is a way for officials to kind of just talk to somebody. And usually that somebody is me. Uh, And, you know, if if you are an official and you suffer from you know something that is like abuse anxiety um you know you're get you're getting just people you know hounding you you know anything like that you know you can just call you know the number is 888 osip or 888 6747 uh it's a virtual phone number provided by ninja number and uh you basically leave a message and then you know pops up on my phone i give you a call back and uh you know, after going through the necessary uh, protocol of, you know, talking about, uh, you know, protecting ourselves, insurance, this, that, the other, you know, just so that nobody gets sued and uh, whatnot, then we can just have a chat. And it's, it's available to anybody uh, who's an official who, who goes through this, you know, as, because I, as, as an official myself, I know what it's like, you know, I, I've suffered from a lot of anxiety. I still do sometimes, um, you know, you, you, you've taken so much on the field sometimes that you're just like, I can't, I, I can't keep doing this. I need, I need to talk to somebody. I got to work something out. And it's just a way for people to say, I, I just got to talk to somebody. I just need somebody to listen, you know, because that's the best thing that we can do sometimes. We don't have to offer advice. We just have to be a, you know, a shoulder for someone to cry on. And so that's what we hope to do at Officials Anonymous, which is just you know just even if it's just me on the other line saying hey i know what you're going through you know and 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 just know that you're not alone
1: i, I wanted to touch on this because i've penned a teachable moment on it and uh and, and i haven't pub- we haven't published it yet but recently there've been a rash of young umpires who have committed suicide and um it, it and I, and for the life of me, and I've talked to many, many people about this, including you, Jack. Mm-hmm. I have no idea why. You know, uh, and and I think the goal out there for me and for everybody, um, as we continue on our baseball journeys, should be to let people know that there is help. Whether it's just giving a phone call to your group, calling a, a suicide hotline, that there are better things that you can do um then end your life and and I don't know why I mean we talked about it the other day with uh with a friend of the program that uh there there were three in the last year that went to an umpire school that have uh committed suicide. And I think it needs to be put out there that there are ways and things that you can do besides the ultimate finish. Jack, can you speak to that? Absolutely.
0: And again, I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a doctor of any kind, but I I know I, I can empathize. And, you know, e- there's no ego here at Officials Anonymous or at OSIP, you know, so it's not like we want people to call us, call whoever you need to call, pick up the phone, call a suicide prevention hotline. In fact, what we might do at Officials Anonymous is to say, listen, you know, let me give you the number of, of a, a suicide prevention hotline. It's there, nobody's making money off of this. What we want to do is prevent a tragedy like that. you know um, Again, people can go through go through a lot of things in life and and nobody ever really knows what another person is going through. you know we can empathize, we can sympathize, we can listen and whatnot. So there could be a number of different things that are causing uh, a, a person to feel that way it doesn't matter what the cause is whether it's something on the field or not the goal is to prevent someone from a tragedy like that and it's not it, it's not far-fetched to think that uh you know the stuff that goes on on the field could be something that that contributes to that you know i i know that from personal experience you know sometimes you 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 just have a game that depresses you so much whether it's from, you know, you just you, you can't find your strike zone or you've got a a coach or a player or a fan just hounding you. Sometimes you walk off the field and you're 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 almost going down the path of am I am I any good at this? Should I keep doing this? And if you're not careful, it can spiral out of control. And it it, it again, the cause, the the journey, it doesn't matter. We just want to prevent that we want people to know that there are options out there other than those tragedies. We just want to help. We just want, you know, people to, to know that it's, it's okay.
2: On that note, you know, what, what is there that that a partner can do? Cause not everyone is going to be able to reach out to a phone number immediately after game. Not everyone knows, but everyone is a partner to someone else on that field. What can a partner do to be supportive?
0: If you're working a game where you have at least one partner because i know that based on the number of officials that are you know we have an official shortage in this country so and i was just looking at our at our group here in new jersey and there are a lot of one man games especially at the middle school level uh but if you are lucky enough to have a partner just and if you are that partner just listen that's all you have to do you know even if even if the guy is was was a terrible umpire, if he had a bad job, or you don't like him, or anything like that, sometimes you just got to swallow your pride and just just say, "Talk to me," you know. You, you let me listen, let me help, let me let me do what I can. Um, you know, so much of life is just wanting to be accepted, just wanting to know that you're not alone. And the smallest thing that a partner can do is just say, "Hey, we're in this together," and no matter what happened out there, I'm here to support you. You know, it, it, it sounds easy. It sounds trite. It sounds obvious, but that that can be the first step. It's not about offering opinions or suggestions or anything like that. It's just being there because that feeling of togetherness, especially in a close-knit uh, fraternity, and I, I say fraternity, although you know there are plenty of women officials out there as well, uh, who do fantastic jobs, um, you know? But this—it's a close-knit group that is all in this together. We all have the same goal. We all share the same bonds. We all know what we all go through. So just just remind your partner that it's okay. It's okay to feel these things, and and we want to help each other.
2: Well said. Let's say I'm calling into the hotline and I'm expressing. Um, That, you know what, the fans were on me. They said very terrible things about me. Um, Is there anything that you have that you would tell me to, you know, because obviously these fans, they don't know me. They just know me as the guy who steps on the field. And so I get that logically, it's not personal. It can't be. They don't know who I am. But emotionally, I'm I'm probably feeling a lot worse. Uh, Is there anything that you would say to make me feel better?
0: Well, you know, obviously every situation is different, but some of the things that I might uh might go to are things like first of all, like you said, they're not mad at you, they're mad at the uniform. They're mad or they're mad at the situation or they're mad they're subconsciously really mad at their own team, they're disappointed in themselves, but they don't know how to take it out on themselves or they don't know how to look inside and say what can I do better? So if they go on the offensive. You know, one of the biggest things that people do when they go on the defensive is to go back on the offensive to shut that down. So there are a number of different things that are psychologically going on in that scenario. I would also suggest that, and this could vary from state to state as well. I don't want to, you know, do give a blanket statement of any sort, but I, I can only speak to what I know of it here in New Jersey. Um, you know, if if fans are that horrendous, especially in a scholastic game like a high school game or anything like that. You, as the official, have the ability to have them removed. Uh, already this season, I can tell you that I've had to remove fans uh, through the process of you can't. You know, you, we can't talk directly to the fans per se. You know, you have to go to the site director, or the athletic director, and have them removed. But I've had to do that. Uh, I've had to have a whole section of uh, student fans removed because what they were doing was completely classless and unsportsmanlike. Uh, I had to go to an AD and say, okay, this one guy's being very belligerent. Uh, he was basically arguing a ball call because a guy didn't step off when he spun the first and, and faked a throw. Uh, and he was yelling at me to read the rule book. And I'm thinking, well, you know, I, I have before, so I don't know if you've read the rule book, but um, whatever. Yeah, you know, it's neither here nor there. And, uh, you know, I had to say to an AD, you got to keep your eye on him because if he says one more thing, I want him removed. I mean, you have that power to do that. And I think it's very common for an official, let alone anybody, regardless of their walk of life, to kind of freeze in that moment. You know, we talk about fight or flight. Well, freeze is also a, a viable option there. Sometimes you just freeze and you lock up and you don't know what to do. So you get attacked by a fan like that, verbally speaking, you might freeze. You don't You don't realize consciously that if you have to, you can have them removed. So, you know, it, it just kind of takes a little... Encouragement that way. But there's a number
1: of different things that I could say all along those lines to someone like that. We're having a conversation with Jack Furlong, the founder of the OSIP Foundation, T Mac and Gill with you on the latest edition of the Plate Meeting Podcast. I want to switch gears for a second and, and look at Major League Baseball. Jack, does it seem to you that there's a lack of sportsmanship currently in Major League Baseball? On a very, very
0: generic plane, I would say yes. But at the same time, I would say that we also don't know exactly what's being said on the field and what's occurring on the field or in the clubhouses. Um, you know, perception is everything. Um, we, you know, we can only kind of go off of what we see in the public on TV and things like that. Um, and if you go through that lens you could certainly make the argument that there is a lack of sportsmanship. I mean, we've talked about it. We've seen it on uh, the write-ups on close call sports and whatnot, which are beautifully done in my opinion. Um, You know, we've, we've, we've talked about, you know, the AJ Hinch blow up with Angel Hernandez. We've talked about all these different things and, you know, without knowing any of the other contexts uh, you could easily make the assumption that this is poor sportsmanship uh, in, in, in some fashion. Um, you know, so so you can only go off of that per se, but generically speaking, this is affecting uh, the fans of the game because that's what they see, and that's how they then think that they can act. So, you know, I know it's an entertainment business. I know that that's a you know that that's the the kind of the mindset to a degree in in athletics and professional athletics. But you wonder that if if we could just shed more light onto that maybe we can prevent some of that you know if if we just learn how to talk to people if we just learn that you know the people who are watching this game either from the stands or on TV they're they're impressionable and that affects how people act at these youth sports games so there you know there there, there needs to be something done i don't know specifically yet what that is but if you're look if you're pulling the camera back if you're pulling the lens back you can easily say from that context that there is a lack of sportsmanship um I'd like to believe that there isn't especially once you get to know guys who are you know you know umpires or team members or things like that but I can only go by what I see on TV and what I hear and whatnot and so that's why I, I come to that conclusion
1: Gil there have been a lot of uh incidents lately in Major League Baseball do you want to you want to touch on a couple of these and well, uh
2: sure break them down yeah yeah Baseball has suffered from this plague of unsporting conduct, and we've really seen an uptick, and we've talked about this on the site a lot, especially over the past few years, where we've had people on the field, players, coaches, do things, be ejected, and then continue the conversation after the game. And that's sort of gets us to think, maybe is the league going to do anything about it? And I think we can all agree that MLB has been pretty lenient, um, and that's putting it mildly. So the problem gets exacerbated because the consequence really isn't there for speaking out um, so so passionately against the umpires and making the issues personal when they shouldn't be. So it's sort of this echo chamber where we're really getting into this sport of gang up on the umpire, and it's also complicated by this issue of an electronic strike zone that people think is an accurate depiction of balls and strikes when we've shown quite a few times that it's not. The central point is, why do you think there's such an encouragement to just scrutinize every single thing an official is doing uh, and to be so readily... I guess, open and accepting to the idea that the official is wrong. And not only is the official wrong, but we should personally insult the official because of it.
0: That, you know, that's what's funny is that you look at that and you think, where did we get from point A to point B? At what point did we say, OK, the, the official is wrong and we have to make sure that Everybody knows that not only is the official wrong, but that he's a bad guy. There, there's no connection between the two. You know, I I, I I it boggles my mind where, you know, when like when uh when Bryce Harper was ejected by Mark Carlson uh recently, you go on Twitter and the things that are being said about Mark Carlson, you're like, what where did you get to this conclusion that you know, he, he, he's this bad guy. It's all about him. All all that. Like, what am I missing? I mean, listen, I know I'm an idiot. There are many females in my life who tell me regularly that I'm stupid and wrong and that's fine, but I don't think I'm an idiot. I mean, this, this is, this is ridiculous that, that we can, you know, get to a, get to a, a, a conclusion like that. If you want to analyze the data, regardless of whether it's faulty or not, based on the methodology, that's one thing. But to get into the realm of personal attacks and to see what's written on social media, that's where I have a problem. That's where OSIP really comes in and says, you want to disagree with a call? That's fine. You make it personal? That's ridiculous. And there is no place
2: for that. In this uh, modern world... Of really empowering people to to thrive in the workplace and in general society, culture, Me Too, and all of the associated uh, movements. Why do you think sports remains this sort of last bastion for acting like a complete jerk?
0: That's a first of all. That's a great way of putting it. Um, you know, you can you can talk about. Some of the, uh, the like the toxic masculinity uh, topics, and I know that that comes with a certain connotation that kind of takes us down another path. Um, you know, I think that there's just th- there's just something where sports is this escape where everyone thinks that they're you know they project themselves onto their 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 favorite athletes, their teams, and whatnot, um, and an attack on one is an attack on all. Um, it's kind of like, and I know we're kind of, it kind of veers off a little bit this way, but there are some similarities, you know, one of my day job, uh, is that of a professional musician. So Gil and I have, you know, a lot of connections when it comes to music and we, I see this in the music business as well, where thanks to the, the invent of, of various technology, anybody can become a, a professional musician. So long as you have a computer and an internet connection. And it used to be that, you know, only the the good stuff would be uh heard by the record labels and then released to the public. Now it doesn't matter how terrible you are, if you have, you know, fifty bucks and, and this technology, you can upload your stuff and people can download it. Um, you know, so and that's and that that can be good for people like, you know, the independent musician who is good who just can't catch a break. But then that lets in the, you know, the people who kind of shouldn't be doing that. And Kind of the same thing happens here is that, you know, we we, we we take this so personally as sports. You know, we may not be the professional athlete, but we associate ourselves with that team because we always want to be associated with what we perceive to be the winner. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, anything like this turns into an attack and, you know, the defenses go up and it just it, 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 it doesn't it doesn't make sense when you take a step back and think about it. Um, You know, I don't know yet. What else can be done about it? But the first step is admitting that there's a problem.
2: How do you solve that problem?
0: <sighs> you, you, you just kind of pray that people can have the ability to come out of themselves a little bit, put their egos in check and and realize what's really going on. It's not easy. It's It's because you can't, you can't legislate it. You can't force people to do something like that. What you can hope to do is lead by example, and that's kind of what we do with OSIP. Is we say we just want to lead by example. We want people to know that we're a beacon of doing what's right in this context. Um, we want to we want to provide applications of that. We want to provide examples of that, and and, and just hope that something clicks in a person's brain where they're just like, oh man, I. I can't believe that that's that's how I am or that's how I was or or something like that. Um, It's a small step, but every every journey begins with that small step.
2: You think that uh, there are any techniques for an official that's on the field during a game and is experiencing abuse from, you know, there are different classes. Fan abuse is different than players and players are different than coaches and whatever. Do you think there's a tactic on the field? What you know before we get to the post game call, Osip? Um, what can I do on the field if if something is a problem, other than just ejecting someone? You know, there's they're still saying terrible things, and I'm still hearing the terrible things they are saying about me. Uh, what can I do to sort of keep myself in the game? Um, well, first of all, you
0: have to separate what you know where the abuse is coming from. Uh, for example, if it's the fan abuse, that's obviously in a different category than the participants. Um, you know, you have a bit more control over what you can do with uh, coaches and players. Um, you know, one of the first things that you can do is know how to talk to people, uh, know how to approach situations. Um, you know, you can, you know, the, I, I I wish I knew the, the speaker who suggested this to us because it came through a couple of different channels, but, um, you know, the way that you talk to a person, especially based upon your hand movements can be a big difference. You know, if you put your hands up with your fingers facing the sky and your palms out, that's a defensive position and that can fuel, uh, the fire. If you put your palms facing the sky with your fingers, uh, facing the coach or the player, that's a welcoming position. And that's where you can say to somebody, okay, talk to me. What's going on? What do you have? You know, what do you have for me? Um, because when that happens, all of a sudden you, you're, you're basically saying, you can talk to me. And that can diffuse the situation. Um, you know, and then it's a matter of knowing how to talk to a person. Basically, you know, saying, okay, listen, please, you know, you don't have to talk to me like a jerk. You don't have to be heated. I'm I'm open to having a discussion with you you know what do you have let's talk about this and you, it, it may come down to something as simple as coach i'm not saying you're wrong i'm just telling you that that's not what i have on the field right now you know you you know which which translates to i'm not saying that you know you the, that that guy wasn't out but i had the out you know or something along the, something along those lines and when you're working a two man crew you know you, you don't have as many eyes on the play as you wish you could um, you know, I, I've tried in my experiences to just diffuse situations like that, uh, as best I can. And sometimes it works and I'm very blessed when those, when it works and sometimes it doesn't, um, you know, it just depends on the personality. Um, you know, then you kind of have to go into deep breathing and just say, stay calm, stay cool, do your job, and then you can get out of there. Um, I'll, I'll give you a quick example during the scrimmage season this year. I was working a game uh, at a high school where I, I knew going in that the that the coach of the, this one team was uh, serious, like real, like and even during a scrimmage, I wanted to be like, this guy needs to chill out. And uh, there was a check swing call and my partner was in the C position and I probably kicked it. Uh, I was, you know, I, I called it a ball. I probably should have said that he swung, but I, you know, I, I just didn't have it. Uh, I checked with my partner. He obviously can't see that when he's in the C position. And the head coach got on me saying, come on, man, you got, actually he called me, sir, but in a very, very heated tone, your partner can't help you. You've got to call that. And my brain kind of went into defensive mode. Anxiety started creeping in. Um, you know, I started wondering, am I going to blow the next call? Am I going to kick this one too? Uh, you know, you start snowballing uh, down, down, downhill with, with what could happen. So, The coach went out to coach third uh, next time that uh, his team was up to bat. The inning ended. I walked up the third baseline as he was slowly walking in. uh, And I just said to him, I'm sorry I kicked that call. He goes, what are you talking about? I said, that check swing. I I kicked it. I'm sorry. And that diffused the situation right there because he was so taken aback where he said, hey, if that's the only call you're going to kick today, you're having a fantastic game and all of a sudden the anxiety was gone you know i was able to kind of get on the good side with this with this coach who before the game i was perceiving as my enemy and and from there on out it was it was smooth sailing and you know so so it was just it's just an example of saying sometimes you know you can you can Do that. You don't want to say to a coach too often, I'm sorry I kicked that. You know, if you start saying that three, four, five times a game, the coach is going to be like, What what's wrong with you? You know, but uh small things like that, you know, depending upon the situation, can can diffuse it.
1: And this is where I think Brian Herzog from uh from officially speaking has a great great idea with this. This the catcher umpire dynamic controls the game. The catcher signs control the tempo, the catcher umpire dynamic Controls the game. You say to a catcher, that manager or head coach is the case for a lot of our listeners, are says, "Hey, that's not as that's a strike. You know, that's that's not inside. It's a strike." And you ask the catcher, "Hey, Billy, did you think that? You know, I'm not screaming this out, but you're not going to do it right after he walks in the winning run. But you're going to pick your spot, Emmy, after he makes it out. Hey, Billy, did you have that one-one pitch inside? Yeah. Hey, can you tell your your head coach that when you get when you get in there? That way, if we have a confrontation later, say, Hey, Billy said it was inside. I asked him, you know, where'd you have that pitch? He goes, Oh, it was in." You know, and understanding, and then not only understanding how to do that, but when to do that. If it's first and second in the eight, in in, the, in whatever, the last inning, and now that guy gets a base hit and the tying run scores, not a great time to ask the catcher, even if you're 100% and you want to be on the same page. But being on the same page with your catcher, and if that catcher, hey, coach, that pitch was inside, you know, and also this is where coaches come into play. Please stop having your catchers. Please stop teaching your catchers to stick pitches that are a foot off the plate because that makes the dugouts think that you think the pitch is a strike. But that is because catchers are being taught by coaches to do that. And so stop doing that. It makes everybody's life difficult. In addition, umpires, stop calling the pitch that is stuck a foot outside a strike. We see it every year, and God bless the Little League umpires' hearts. I love them to death. But if the pitch is stuck a foot off the plate, it's not a strike. And by you calling that, that instills um, a reality to that catcher that he can keep doing that over and over again. And and that pitch is going to be called a strike. So at some point, that guy is going to get to college or to high school, and the high school umpire is like, hey, stop doing that. And now that results in conflict because, hey, don't tell me how to catch. Hey, are you telling my kid how to catch? And so we have to work as, through these things, as a community, as a whole, not as individuals. I I
0: couldn't agree more. Uh, I think you nailed it on the right, right on the head. Um, we actually at OSIP have uh, a, a series of clinics called "Work with Me," uh, which is basically kind of the, an official working with um, players and coaches to to kind of give them insight on uh, what you know what what they can what we're looking for, things that can help, stuff like that. And one of the first things that that I would teach, especially speaking as uh, a former catcher and someone who can still catch in my adult leagues, if I can give myself another three weeks off after that, uh, is that you know th- the idea of framing a pitch is so bogus now; it's so distorted that people are being completely misguided on what to do. You know, sticking that pitch is very, very key, especially around the strike zone. There are way too many catchers, uh, at least in my experience, who move the mitt six inches after they receive a pitch. And it could be a borderline pitch. And you know, if they stick it, that's probably a strike. But by moving it, you're telling me it's out of the zone and you're bringing it back into the zone. And then people start getting on my case. What's up with that? And I say, listen, if your catcher did just learn to stick it, all of a sudden, now we've got a we got a different situation, um, you know. So it, it all goes back to that same thing, and that that relationship with the catcher is so critical. And that's something that I've actually worked on myself this year, is to try and even put more of an importance on that, and ask catchers like, "Hey, is there anything I need to know about this pitcher?" You know, um, I know, I know, T Mac, you told me that story about the catcher who didn't tell you about that wicked. Uh, knuckle curve, oh, at, yeah, you know. Last
1: year,
0: yeah. Yep. So, so all those types of things um, are are things that I try and do to build that relationship. Um, another example, and we have that lo- this locally here, and as a result, I have basically said I will not work these games. Is that one particular high school teaches its catchers a sign to give to the dugout if the you know if if a pitch is called a ball and the catcher thinks it's a strike. And that kind of fuels the the coaches to, to get on the umpires. That, and yeah. It's just it's just stupid. It's that's ridiculous. all
1: over, Jack. That's yeah. all over. Yeah, that's something that they think they're so smart. oh, no, I'm going to touch my shin guard three times, or I'm going to touch my mask and then the top of my head. Like, everybody's got these little intricacies, yet they can't remember the signs for hit and run. Exactly. So, um, but, you know, those are interesting because as soon as I see that, and I pick up everything just about, I'll, I'll ask a kid right away when he does that. I won't even wait if that was – If I am 100%, you know, I'll say to to the kid, hey, Tyler, uh, do you have that pitch, uh, uh, a strike? I I had it significantly. I had it on the batter's box line. i will go, yeah, I mean, it's borderline. So borderline to me, because if they think it's a strike, Jack, Gil, they're going to say it's a strike. When they say borderline, they're telling you you got the call right. Exactly. Um, But I want them to tell me it's a ball. You know, right. I'm gonna look, I'm not going to force the question, but I want to have, and I tell kids, you know, especially the first time, hey, not a dictatorship back here. If you disagree, we're going to have a communication about it, you know. And and this is why I still umpire youth games because I'm trying to, you know, give back. And not only when you do youth games, you can not only teach the younger umpires, but you can also teach the catchers. And if you have fair-minded coaches and fair-minded catchers, you can help, you know, change a perspective or two and that helps going forward when you might have these guys at the college level or you might have them jack on the high school level
0: exactly and and you know it speaks to this we're all in this this game of life together you know it, it and, and this game of baseball together you know it just it it doesn't make any sense to to make enemies here you know well-
1: on the game of like, segment, we don't want to monopolize all of our time here. So we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll learn more about Jack Furlong, the man. That's when we return on the plate meeting, powered by Close Call Sports.
0: Hi, this is Jack Furlong, founder, president, and CEO of the OSIP Foundation Incorporated, where OSIP stands for Outstanding Sportsmanship is Paramount, a 501c3 organization dedicated to promoting good sportsmanship throughout all capacities of sports and competition. Please be sure to check out our website at osipfoundation.org to learn about us and some of our programs, such as our blog, The Strike Zone, our podcast, How You Play the Game, our awards programs for student athletes, and Officials Anonymous, our hotline for sports officials who deal with abuse, anxiety, and other similar issues. Once again, that's OSIP Foundation
1: we welcome you back to The Plate Meeting. I'm T. Mac alongside Gil, 3,000 miles away, and uh, Jack Furlong, probably a couple hundred miles away. And if that voice sounds familiar on that advertisement, it's because he's our guest, the founder of the OSIP Foundation. And we mentioned before the break that let's get to know Jack as the man, Jack Furlong, not necessarily as the guy who's trying to change lives. And got a pretty interesting life, Jack. I, I know... Um, First and foremost, had a pretty nice jazz career. Yeah, I mean, my, that's my day job.
0: Uh, I got my, uh, my bachelor's in music from uh, Lafayette College and then my master's in music in uh, jazz composing and arranging from William Patterson University. Uh, I've, uh, I've released a couple of albums with my jazz quartet. The latest one was in uh, 2018 called Opportunity, available now uh, on uh, iTunes and CD Baby and wherever else you uh, get your music. And uh, I've, been doing, uh, I've been doing a lot of, a lot with jazz. Uh, I'm a Barry Sachs player by trade, but uh, that doesn't mean that I uh, can't bust out the jazz flute and do my Ron Burgundy from time to time. And um, it's just, it's been a wild ride, man. You know, I kind of knew from, uh, you know, the late stages of high school that uh, music and baseball were the two things that I've been very blessed to do. And I kind of just felt called to say, I got to follow this. I got to follow both of these in whatever shape I can, because otherwise I'm I'm not going to be happy, you know, and, and if God wants me to do it, I'm, I'm all for it.
1: Speaking of God, um, a lot of people don't know this about you. You are currently in seminary. Is that how you say it?
0: Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I grew up, uh, Roman Catholic and, uh, you know, like a lot of, uh, Catholics, you kind of get a little discouraged as you go along and, um, I was uh, again talk about the divine uh, inspiration and uh, and and uh, the intervening of of the divine. I stumbled upon uh, Good Shepherd uh, American Reformed Catholic Church in Tom's River, New Jersey, which is an independent Catholic church. Uh, basically, you know, for the most part, a lot of the theology is the same, but uh, it's independent of Rome. Uh, and I said, I this is it. This is so. I I joined the seminary there. Uh, I'm, uh, working towards becoming a deacon and then, and then a, uh, a priest eventually. Uh, it's a, it's great because, uh, they allow their ministers to marry. Uh, you know, ministers can marry, they can be women, they can be gay. It's, uh, it's a, it's a very open, all-inclusive, uh, church. You know, we focus more on who you can become, uh, rather than, uh, sin and atonement theology. So it's just, it's, it's an empowering, uh, religious and spiritual experience. Um, you know, anybody who's interested can can check us out on the web or on Facebook. Uh, and uh, it's 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 just great. I, I I am so blessed to be a part of it.
1: Speaking of inclusivity, um, I'm sure if I pronounced that right, baseball has long lagged behind uh, other sports in including minorities and and women and. Uh, is there a way to get out of that mix? We currently have female officials coming up in the NHL. We have them already in the NBA and the NFL. What can baseball do to be more inclusive uh, to the officiating force? I, I'd like to believe it's just a
0: matter of removing uh, the prejudice that a female uh, can't do a certain job. You know, uh, it, your, your gender doesn't matter what matters is can you can you uh, cons- can, uh, successfully successfully uh, do a job and 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 allow your merits to speak for themselves? Um, you know, it's I, I'm not in the inner workings of MLB. Uh, so I, I don't know if I can specifically speak to it, but you know it's it's just a matter of trying to properly advance with the times. And again, that doesn't mean, you know, putting people out there who aren't ready or who can't competently do a job, uh, it means that if they can and they happen to be female, being female should not uh, prohibit you from 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 successfully doing a job.
2: On that note, everyone knows that uh, Angel Hernandez is suing the league, alleging racial, uh, race-based discrimination. We did an analysis of that. We found that... Uh, you know the the classes going to umpire school in the first place are not very diverse, and we we tried to talk about different cultural factors to get into that and and everything else, so just hitting on that in- inclusivity you know sort of tying it back to back to the sportsmanship angle a little bit as well. Some of those things that have been directed angels' way uh, specifically have been race related and and things like that. And I remember way back when we started this, um, when I started the online experience of writing and, and things like that. You know, the the colloquial advice was, "Don't read the comments. Publish your article, but don't read the comments." Um, and I think I I didn't read the comments, and that's why uh, TMAC came on board to help moderate the comments section because I didn't read the comments, and it right. became exactly the way that you think it would. Uh, right. It, so, um, you know, to that to that end. Um, just from a personal perspective because you see, you know it takes a villager or, or, or however we want to phrase it how do we sort of self-censor ourselves you know what 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 can we do just personally to make sure that we're not inadvertently saying things that are insensitive to others whether it's based on a demographic characteristic, you know, such as race or gender or or anything else, how do we just make sure that we're sensitive to other people and we don't, you know, accidentally cross a line?
0: You know, it's funny. I've, uh, you know, being a, being a male in his thirties, I, uh, have the wonderful experience of being reminded that my frontal lobe in my brain doesn't develop the way that it, that it should. And that I, uh, frequently would, uh, put my foot in my own mouth, Um, and I'm sure many men have that same experience and are reminded of that on a constant basis. But, uh, you know, it's as simple sometimes as just think one more time before you say something, whether it's you hit the, the publish button, the tweet button, the send button, whatever, um, you, you, you can't always be, um, aware of, of being, of, of, uh, alienating everybody there's always going to be somebody who's going to find something wrong with what you say um you know i i was i was talking to somebody the other day actually about that and he just you know he was talking about how he you know innocently referred to a, a group of people as guys and all of a sudden two females uh complained that you know they shouldn't be um using that term he goes i'm sorry i didn't mean it that way i'll say folks from now on you know just sometimes sometimes you can't catch that you know and 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 whatnot but you should be able to at least kind of follow that that golden rule of you don't know, have something nice to say is it really worth saying it you know you can you you can pose certain points about an issue in ways that are not going to offend people you know there are there are there are certain things that it's not what you say, it's how you say it. But there are other things that you just, you're just going to say stuff. It's not going to, it's not going to sound good, you know? And, and, you know, everybody's entitled to their opinion. Um, I'm not going to try and say that everybody has to align with, you know, a certain opinion one way or the other, but we, I think we can each do, um, you know, a slightly better job to a degree myself included. I'm, I'm not, you know, exempt from this, uh, of just saying, let me think about this one more time before I, before I let this out into the universe. Cause once I say it doesn't matter how many times I hit the delete button, it's out there.
2: Right. You know, just for, just from my standpoint, um, as a quick example, when I, you know, when I write these articles and uh, about umpiring and things that we put on the site, my default term for referring to a crew of four if I'm not calling them a crew of four, I'm calling it four-person mechanics, four umpires, not four-man. You know, the, the shorthand is always, is, is it two-man, three-man, four-man, whatever. Right. Um, I've changed it to the four-umpire system or four-person mechanics or, or what have you, gender-neutral term for inclusivity. Now, there, there's sort of this wobble idea on the one end it's we want to be sensitive and create an atmosphere where everyone feels included and so i'm not using language that excludes people on the basis of well anything on the other side there were there would be people who say oh you're you're being you know everyone's too sensitive everyone takes offense at everything how do you respond to someone who comes back with something like that
0: i get it i understand you know um it's a, it is a fine line to walk. Uh, I, I have been in those shoes as well where, you know, I've, I've been told I'm being too sensitive. There are times when I've said someone's being too sensitive, you know, life is too short sometimes. And, and at the same time that we are all, uh, trying to rethink, uh, what we say, perhaps we need to take an equal amount of time to just say, am I, am I, Slicing the baloney too thin here. Am I? Re- do I really, really need to to call this person out on that? Or was their intent not to do that? And I get it. I'm again. I'm not trying to 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 tell people one thing or another. Every situation is different. Every context is different. I understand. Um, it's just that we're seeing these these changes sometimes that that just you know they. They leave you scratching your head because you can't you can't figure it out. Sometimes you're like, oh, "Do I have to be this way? Do I have to be that way?" It's you you're you, you can drive yourself crazy sometimes with this. I I would just caution everybody from both sides, from all sides, just to have a little bit more empathy and just say, "Okay, maybe I need to be a little bit more sensitive on what I say." And on the same t- on the other side of the token, okay, maybe I maybe they didn't mean to offend me that way. Maybe maybe it wasn't meant to be. Uh, that offensive, you know, it's, it's certainly possible that we're all not doing this with malintent, you know, maybe, maybe we're all just trying to get a point across or trying to be understood, trust, trying to be loved. And, and sometimes we just, just comes out the wrong way. We have, we have to be able to forgive one another too. That's the other thing too, is that, you know, nobody's perfect. Umpires certainly aren't perfect. We're expected to be perfect and then get better from there, but uh, nobody's perfect. As, as we also just need to be willing to not only say I'm sorry, but we have to be willing to say it's okay. Don't worry about it. Jim Joyce
2: uh, wrote a book about that. Nobody's exactly. perfect. Um, yep. I, I think curb your enthusiasm could have a field day with this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I think that, you know, to bring it back to baseball, because people are hearing this, like, what does this have to do with baseball? Right. Um, and, you know, we sort of said, well, we're we trying to be an inclusive environment, all that. But I think even directly, to people's experiences on the field, bringing it back to baseball, to touch on what you just mentioned, when someone's saying something, a coach, player, or whatever, from the dugout or from the field or what have you, just because they use, hey, you know, they use the word you, because we always say use the magic word, just because they phrase something wrong doesn't necessarily mean that they're trying to attack an umpire or something like that. I think that if we change our perception of that a little bit, because, you know, don't get me wrong, sometimes they absolutely mean to attack us, right. and that is not acceptable. But sometimes they don't know any better, perhaps, and and every individual sports official has to figure out how to walk that line and how to uh, establish their level of figuring someone out. But I think that there are ways to reduce the anxieties of officiating a game and the related uh, unpleasant things that go along with criticism, etc., by changing the mindset slightly to say, you know what, maybe they're not trying to attack me as badly as I think they are. They might have their own motivations, you know, trying to win or whatever it is, uh, that aren't necessarily as nefarious as I first thought.
0: Right. I would say to that the first thing is, you know, if you're an official who is suffering from anxiety, as as I know that I have and continue to do from time to time, uh, I would just say that means you care. That means you care about your job. That means you want to do a good job, and and that can be celebrated. You know, that's a beautiful thing that that you care. So I, although I might not be able to take away the anxiety, I can hopefully frame it in a way to say. You know that means you're that means you're a good person, and that you want you want to do a good job, and that's and that's a good thing. You know the other thing that I would say, and again, this is where you're you're talking about hopefully changing mindsets with coaches and players. I say this a lot when I when I would coach. Uh, you know, like I, I manage my adult league team, and I've I've coached you know uh, some senior Babe Ruth teams and whatnot as well. And then uh, even as a, as a musician, as an ensemble leader, I would say this. I would say you you get farther with what you know how you say certain things so if you disagree with a call you know rather than come out screaming and yelling why not talk to an umpire in a way that says you know listen i'm not trying to attack you i just want a better explanation could it possibly be that this was the case and not that um you know and we 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 make more progress especially as athletes when we we don't focus on the you know the time that we stumbled you know there's a, there's an old uh saying that you know the marathon runner if he's running the marathon and he trips and he falls he doesn't stop to look at the spot where he tripped and say start yelling at the ground like how dare you make me trip that's that's your fault that you made me trip not mine no he picks himself up and he keeps going towards the goal it's it's kind of like a little turn the other cheek to a certain degree Um, and I would encourage coaches and athletes to start thinking the same way because you're not always going to, most of the time, you're not going to get people to change the call. So why worry about it? Why try and, and, and complain about it? Because all you're doing to a certain degree is making an umpire an official defensive, especially one who's not conscious of this kind of stuff. And that's hurting you more. So what, what purpose does it serve? You have a better shot of getting your way, so to speak, by letting it go. I, I always use this example. This happened to me, I think, two years ago when I was playing in my adult league. Uh, I was up to bat, and I think there was a runner on first, and a pitch comes in and it grazes my jersey. And the home plate umpire didn't have it. And I said to him, and I knew the guy, I said, Hey man, that 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 hit the jersey. You know, that's a that's a that's a hit by pitch. And he he froze. He didn't realize that he might have kicked that call. He didn't know what to say. So I just said, can you, can you check with Joe out there who's doing the bases? So he goes to Joe and he says, do you have anything? He says, I don't have anything. I'm sorry. Now, I, I could have thrown a temper tantrum. I could have thrown a fit saying, how dare you not see that? How, how do you miss that? But instead, I kept my mouth shut. I said, there's nothing I can do about it. Let's continue the at-bat. I ended up walking. It was fine. The result was the same. There, I did not waste the energy uh, to to you know demean officials for missing something. And it turned out to be fine anyway. And the pitcher threw more pitches. He could have been more. He could have been tired. You know that maybe that affects the game for the better of our team. So there's always a different perspective here, and and we we lose sight of that when adrenaline is rushing and we're in the heat of competition.
2: There it is. Play four D chess, and you will uh, you'll, you'll you'll have a much more satisfying experience on the diamond. I I was told by uh, by a player once, "Hey, you're you know you know when I." I warned um, one of his teammates and he said, you're, you're too sensitive. And, you know, you can take that as, as an insult or, or whatever. And I said, I took it as a compliment. I'm like, Well, sensitivity is probably one of my greatest assets out here because I can sense if there's animosity between the teams. I can sense if someone's going to be throwing at someone's head. I can sense if there's a fight. I can sense if someone's a little perturbed about a call or what what have you. I can sense if there's something that I can do to adjust myself or the game or what have you. All of it is related to that comment that is really a compliment because if you're sensitive when you do your job, uh, you do your job a lot better than if you're not sensitive. If I can't sense things, then I'm probably going to have a bad game because... I'm going to start calling things that make absolutely no, well, sense that don't fit the game. So yeah, being sensitive, that's probably a good thing. So changing the perspective, what one might perceive as an insult might in fact be a little blessing in disguise, as you say, might be a positive thing. So there are always multiple ways to look to the problem. And as we close out our interview with Jack Furlong of the OSIP Foundation, um, we just want to, you know, reiterate that. Just take a step back, see the big picture, see how things go, and uh, it'll be a lot better on the field. It's not this going to war, going to battle mentality. It's more of a, this is I'm out here to have fun because at the end of the day, it's a game. And Jack, your closing argument, you 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 got uh, speaking duties for the close.
0: Well, first of all, based upon that speak that speech right there, which is the most that I think we've ever heard Gil say on the podcast, I mm-hmm. think that we can sense that. Uh, Gil is also a Jedi Master, and we should probably never cross him because of Ooh. how he can sense things through the Force. <laughs> um, it's you—you you, you summed it up there, Gil. You know, I, we at OSIP, we are not telling everybody you get a participation trophy. It's not about watering stuff down. It's not about you know, let's all hold hands and sing Kumbaya. Um, you know, competition, especially athletic competition, is okay. OK, no one's no one's saying, you know, because I think this ironically, this was an argument that was posed to me once by one of our board members as we were kind of spitballing this stuff. And he was playing devil's advocate. And he said, you know, if we go down this road of competition this way, do you think that people might take this as an attack on capitalism and our way of life in, in America? You know, and I said, I I can see how you would make that point. And it's up to us to say, no, ca- you know, competition is OK with that. You know, the free market needs to work. So you know, I'm and I'm not an economist or or a politician or anything like that. So I'm not here to make a comment about that. And but I can say that that's that's not our intent to say everybody gets a trophy and there are no winners and losers. No, there's winning and losing in life, you know, and that's something that we have to accept. You're going to win sometimes. You're going to lose sometimes. Um, It's it's how you respond to it. It's how you you know you you take that and what you do. You can be disappointed. You can, you know, you can, you can be sad and upset. Um, You can even think that you were treated unfairly, but it's how you respond to it. Are you, do you really think it's necessary to go on the attack for something? You know, granted, if there's a a serious issue and you, you know, the the courts need to get involved, that's, that's different. But, you know, if if a pitch that's two inches outside the strike zone gets called a strike, is it really necessary to, to, to flip? And, you know, and, and I would I would imagine that some ball players probably would say, well, yeah, I'm making my life doing this. My, my income is based upon my performance here. And to have an official take that away from me could affect my bottom line, to which I would say, you're not wrong. But maybe a team would look at how you respond to that, the sportsmanship, the leadership qualities and say, you know what, that maybe that's more important in our clubhouse than winning and losing it's certainly possible. And I think that that's something that we can all take, uh, from this, you know, I, 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 and I, I, I just like to give my, my respect to all the, the men and women who are professional officials. You know, I, I, a friend of mine, when we go out to, to have a couple of drinks and we watch a game on TV, he always says, all right, who are the umpires? And I can tell you to tell them right away who the umpires are, what their sleeve number is, and, and they, they, they mock me for it a little bit, but, but I love watching them. I love, know and I, and I'm a, and I'm a huge Yankees fan, but I'm a huge baseball fan too. I love watching the game. I love watching officials. Um, and, uh, and it's a blessing to, to be in that position. And it's a blessing to be on the show with you guys. You know, you guys do a fantastic job with your site and I don't think it's any coincidence that, that we found each other. So, uh, my kudos and my hats off to you guys for what you do. It is incredibly important, and I hope that more and more people, even in ma- in Major League Baseball, realize you're not the enemy. You you are people who are just trying to do the right thing, and and I I wish you guys uh, all the success in the world.
1: Thank Thanks, you. Jack.
0: It's my pleasure, guys.
1: That's uh, Jack Furlong, the founder of the OSIP Foundation. You can pick up his latest jazz album, Opportunity Now. On iTunes or anywhere Fine Jazz is sold. And that wraps up another edition of the Plate Meeting Podcast. For a very talkative guild, I'm T Mac. Until next time, happy umpiring, everyone.